0: This podcast is brought to you by Stormaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at Stormaven. So I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it.
1: If you're already in market and you want to adopt subscriptions, just be really good to your existing user base. Just give them what they think they've bought, you know, give them lifetime access. If they were a one-time purchaser, let's say, or give them an opportunity to just keep rolling the way they, they are without kind of transition and then focus your subscription opportunity on new users.
0: Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormhaven We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes. I'm super excited to be back after uh, a little break um, to uh, to do maternity leave. And it's a great way to come back because I'm joined today by Dan Burkaw, CEO and co-founder of NAMI. Uh, Dan, you want to introduce yourself quickly?
1: Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me and welcome back. Um, as you mentioned, I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO of NAMI. Uh, we... Uh, kind of come from a long legacy of being in the mobile space, uh, doing some other companies and been around a long time. And uh, what we're focused on uh, at NAMI is really trying to help uh, people grow their, uh, primarily their subscription revenue streams, but uh, also one time purchases as well. And, you know, what we found, you know, decade or, or more into this, mobile app economy, um, it's still pretty under-optimized. There's lots of opportunities still to grow. And um, so that's what we're trying to solve. I'm sure we'll get into more of it, but um, in a nutshell, we're just trying to help people grow.
0: Amazing. So before we get, uh, you know, heavy into subscriptions, can you talk through, you have a pretty interesting uh, background into how you entered the mobile world. Can you talk through a little bit of your experience and how you arrived at the point of starting NAMI? Yeah.
1: Yeah. so, you know, we, we don't have to go all the way back, suffice it to say, I've been playing with computers for a long time and kind of grew up with the early days of the internet and um, really self taught. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't spend most of my day today, you know, these days in code, but um, nor am I really, you know, trained to be a coder. Um, but I did teach myself over time, you know, the the more of the technical aspects um, of computers and how they work. and uh after i graduated from university i uh kind of had a choice do i go i had already been involved in a startup we um we did some pretty crazy things we we put software on um u.s navy nuclear submarines We uh, helped process images coming down from the Mars Rover for uh, NASA JPL, the Jet Propulsion Lab. Um, and so we just did a lot of interesting things. I was pretty young in those experiences. And so it was sort of like this crash course and you know, how crazy the world of entrepreneurship can be and what one can do even with like kind of no background uh, or experience if they just find themselves in an interesting position. Um, and so coming out of university, I sort of had this choice of do I double down on technology in terms of, you know, fostering these technical skills and kind of going going down that route, um, or not. And, um, you know, I, I kind of because I was self taught, I always sort of had this impression that I was not going to ever have the engineering skills that somebody who had gone to school for that, uh, or you know i just i just figured there was going to be better engineers so uh i i actually had an opportunity to be to be recruited um into apple into an engineering role and um i just i just thought uh, you know why there's got to be better engineers than me so i so i passed that opportunity up um but i was really fascinated in that period of time uh in what apple was doing steve had just been back for a you know a few years and the company was really starting to, you know, turn around and get, you know, real momentum. So I knew I wanted to be involved in, in and around Apple some way. And uh, uh, so, you know, while I was applying to other kinds of positions and things, I just, you know, literally went down to my local Apple store, gave, handed in an application. Next thing you know, I was a part, you know, part-time retail specialist. I'd never worked a retail job in my life up to that point. Um, and haven't again, since, um, and, but, you but know, one thing led to another and, you know, a number of years go by and I'm in a corporate position I'm helping with the worldwide, um, retail expansion is, you know, went from just a few hundred stores to many more and, um, got to work closely with somebody, um, who was dr- a direct report of the head of retail. Um, and it was just a fascinating experience where I learned that, uh, Apple as a company doesn't just innovate in products, it really thinks about everything as an opportunity to innovate. Um, There's tons of stories. But you know, one I'm pretty fond of is is that I um, I was in Cupertino, and they have where retail is is based, or at least it was at the time, it was sort of off from the main campus. And they actually had a whole mock store, uh, where they prototyped, you know, in physical scale, Um, all sorts of things, not just displays and where products go, but like, you know, what tile should we use for the floor? Or what should the HVAC system look like the part that you could actually see. Um, And so all those decisions were being made kind of in a life scale. And you know, at the time, Steve Jobs would come once a week and like, him and Ron Johnson would just like go around the store and make decisions. Like they were making a decision about the next iPod or the next iPhone. So it's just you know incredible to think about a company that's known for products, um, innovating in all these other ways that you wouldn't think about.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually one of the things that um that interests people about the world we're in in terms of mobile growth, which is Apple is is so incredibly thoughtful and and you know brilliant in a lot of ways about everything they're doing with their products and you know how they market and how they brand and then you come to the subscription side which you know I could say from years back back when we first started in in kind of the realm of mobile growth it felt a little bit like an afterthought right it wasn't something that was the biggest focus and and I think today probably you uh you could speak a little more to this developers struggle they struggle with uh you know finding the right ways to monetize and and really tap into the store the way they would hope. Um, so maybe you could talk through a little bit. I mean, I imagine NAMI was started for a reason and out of a specific pain. Maybe you could uh talk about that a bit.
1: Yeah. And even just taking one step back from subscription for a second, I think that in a way, the idea uh and there's you know so much effort in the industry, our industry is focused on acquisition. And uh if you think about it, in a way, even that's still. An afterthought, I mean, we just now have the ability to do a custom product page where we can give one you know user cohort a different way into the app than I mean that's what landing pages are on the web, and we've had those for however long.
0: The most basic, exactly the most basic thing customize a user flow only happened yeah a month ago, basically, yeah,
1: yeah, that's right you know, and and then we can now do, you know, product page optimization. So and that's literally talking about the top of the funnel. Uh, Well, maybe not the tippy top, but pretty far up there. And, and so I think that uh, a lot of this, um, even before you figure out, should I monetize? How should I monetize? Should I do ads? Should I do a blend? Should I do subscription? You know, is still just trying to figure out how do we get audience that is A, you know, growing, that's important. But B, sort of finding the right audience and trying messaging that resonates with them. um, So that we're not, you know, downstream fighting this churn problem uh, with push over push notifying people and over, you know, emailing because we're just trying to claw people back that we've acquired. And that's back to your question of, of what's the origin story is that My co-founder and I, uh, we built one of the first companies in push notification. Um, We were really focused on, you know, use cases like breaking news and sports scores that, you know, for the most part, if you receive an alert like that on your phone, you kind of want it. right? we, our technology got acquired, we ended up at Oracle, we plugged that push engine into uh, a product called the Oracle Marketing Cloud. And what we saw was how marketers started to think about push technology. And um, unfortunately, or fortunately, it started to become a tool for, you know, promotions and churn and some of these things. And there's nothing wrong with that, except that it ends up being this blunt instrument that if you're not very, very careful, um, you can do the, you have the opposite effect of what you're trying to have um, with your user. So we wanted to sort of say, you know, if there's a way that we can help people be more efficient with, optim- with uh, revenue, um, where they don't have to resort to some of these tools um, too much, right. Push is still part of the mix email start So part of the mix, but it should be a balanced part of the story. Um, then that would be a win. And then the second thing was the, was the, we also saw that, especially on the monetization side, especially in subscription, um, we saw a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of kind of history repeating itself. What, which was in push, it was originally the developers that were implementing and adopting and utilizing and building APIs, and then eventually what happened was the marketer, the marketing teams took over and started driving features, started driving you know how how to measure, um, and it just a totally different product emerged. Right when you get when you saw those personas shift, and so it, what's happening in subscription monetization now, and even you know with the Features we talked about with product pages is that I, I I feel like up to this point in the app app story, um, so much has been home built or homegrown, or or maybe that's the wrong way to put it, controlled by developers. You want to make a change to your subscription paywall, well, that's going to be an app update, um, and so there was a limit to what the non technical people were able, how deep in the funnel the non technical people in the flow. Could manage and control, and it kind of ended at those store pages. So what we want to do is, you know, punch a hole through through the 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 flow, um, and give the non-technical personas control of the paywall. By the way, you know, if if you're going to have multiple product pages, you might as well have multiple paywalls that are aligned to uh, the different messaging uh, that you're trying out or different acquisition campaigns that you're running, and so on. And so. Um, you know, that's a long answer to the origin story, but it was a number of themes coming together uh, around persona, the personas that needed to be able to take control of these things, how hard subscriptions was and how unoptimized it was. Um, and just our experience with um, over messaging, and maybe we could play a little bit of a role to uh, tamp down on that a little bit.
0: So I love that you, uh, you know, I think it's something that we've experienced a lot as well on our side, this idea that you kind of have marketers and then you have developers and there's been this like division and it really, I mean, it it constantly comes into conflict. And for the marketer, there's so much uh, pain right now because everything has been, I think you're completely right, has been, you know, kind of focused around the developer and even things like Analytics and understanding, you know, further down the line, I brought these users in. Are they actually doing anything for me? Do they, you know, did they download and call it a day? Are they responding? Are they the type of user we brought in? We lose a lot of that. Um, certainly, in a post iOS fourteen point five world, a lot of that gets lost. Um, so, you know, talk me through the subscription model a little bit. What are the advantages for an app developer of using subscription model as opposed to advertising, pure in-app purchase? You know, why why would somebody consider a subscription?
1: Well, it's the it's the becoming the dominant driver of growth across the store. So, in every category, even categories like games, um, there is a there's a, um, a, a move towards subscription. Um, so, if maybe the reason to do it isn't just because everybody else is doing it, however, um, consumers are getting used to the idea of a subscription model. Um, So it's part of the mix, it's not some foreign object that you only see once in a blue moon. So that's important consumer behavior is, you know, moving there. Um, Certainly Apple and Google are uh, encouraging developers to adopt the model. So that's really, you know, important because as they make editorial decisions, for example, you know, that's going to matter. It's not to say they don't promote apps that have ads only or apps that have in-app purchases, but certainly, um, adopting things that are uh, aligned uh, is important as well. Um, and, and it's, you know, really, it comes down to sustainability. I mean, it's still very expensive to build, manage, operate, grow uh, a mobile property. And um, it's a tremendous investment over time. Over time, and if you're dependent on in-app purchases, one-time purchases, um, it works really well in games because, in a lot of ways, those in-app purchases behave like subscriptions. Right, the users are coming back and 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 buying multiple times. But in other categories, in non-gaming categories, that mechanic usually doesn't exist, and so. Subscriptions offers an opportunity for you to um, create value over time, and then there's a value exchange over time, which is really important um, just more sustainability for the the publisher um, but then the user's expectations are different too and and so that's good that's kind of healthy I mean if somebody comes in and they're willing to pay for a few months and then like something changes in the product and they're starting to question that like you kind of want to know that right and then and then bring that feedback back into the product. So I think it's a really healthy model um, in spite of sort of the uh, sentiment out there of subscription fatigue and some of those things that you see in the press. I I do think it's a win-win model for consumers and publishers.
0: Makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about subscription fatigue. I think there there is that fear, right, of if I'm forcing my users into a commitment, do I lose... You know, do I lose users that would have stuck with me if I, you know, if I if I didn't make it so official? You know, if I kind of threw it in bit by bit. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I, well, I think you're right, exactly right. Like, so what you're also sort of talking about there is, do you have to get into the subscription in order to use the product? And in some categories, health and fitness being one, I mean, that's very common. You start a free trial. If you don't convert from free to paid well, guess what? You don't get to work out. <laughs> so um, very common there. In other categories, you see a little bit more of a freemium type model where there is some access, some things you can do. But then if you want to do more, uh, then maybe you have to participate in the subscription. I think there's a opportunity to do do kind of all these things in a way uh, um, where, for example. Um, you know, you offer the lifetime access, that's a one-time purchase for a certain type of demographic that would just prefer to pay once and and not, um, not do the subscription, or you have a uh, little appetizers, little entrees in the application where you're, you're able to move them from free to paid, maybe through a one-time purchase. Um, but then from there, you know, it, it the ultimate goal might be to get them into the script subscription. But for, but it's also trying to find users, and, and I, I say that and it sounds like you're trying to trick users into the subscription, but really what it is, it's, it's about market segmentation. You're trying to find the users that are right, the right fit for the subscription, but also finding, well, what's the opportunity for the, those users that aren't the right fit? Is there an opportunity? Maybe the answer is no. If there's an opportunity for a, you know, a light experience that's got some value exchange, great, or um, maybe there's a certain cohort of your users that you do want into the, the the product for a variety of reasons, and you're you're okay with ad supported um, for for those people. So, subscriptions is never going to be right for everybody, and I think that is a mistake that, that a mentality mistake that sometimes people make where they are ja- jamming a lot of users through the acquisition funnel, um, and they want to get them all converted into subscriptions, but what they're, what they're missing is that, you know, it's not going to be right for everybody.
0: So how do you, how do you do that process of identifying who makes sense for a subscription? Is it uh, a persona? Is it behavior-based? How do you kind of, uh, you know, let's say we're, we're approaching this in a sophisticated way and kind of getting the understanding of, I want some people in my subscription model who will be lucrative there. Other people I need to nurture in a different way. A, B to I, uh, how do, how do you get there? How do you find those answers?
1: Well, it's, it's, unfortunately, there's a few pieces that have to come together. Uh, it's not, not so easy to just like, boom here, you know, here's your cohort of potential subscribers. Here's your cohort of, of ad supported part of its behavioral. You do have to have, um, some general behavioral analytics to understand, um, what different cohorts or users are doing. And, you know, there's, there's casual users. And you have to make a decision of, okay, here's what a casual user looks like. You know, maybe they're not in the app every day. That's okay. Um, Maybe they're in once a month. What do we want to do to serve that audience? Do we want to do anything? You know, so you sort of have to understand that they exist and, um, um, and decide what to do with it. But then also you have to understand what channels are driving acquisition, what types of those user groups from the behavioral perspective, exist and where what channels are they coming from. And um and then what what do you want to do about that? Because it like you, you may spend a lot of money driving those casual users who may not generate the revenue that you're looking for because they might not be a good fit for the subscription. So then the question would be maybe you're okay having those users, but you're not willing to pay for it. Through you know paid acquisition, if they come across you organically, fine. You have an opportunity, or if your CPM is such that you know it, it, it does become worth it. So you have to understand the, the the behavioral piece and the cohorting there, but you also have to understand connect the dots on on the acquisition side because if you can't do that, then um, you know most most apps out there aren't reliant only on organic for acquisition, right? Um, so that's that's the second piece. And then from the A-B testing um perspective, you know, I do think um, there's lots of opportunities to test all sorts of things from, you know, what we talked about earlier, product page optimization, you know, paywall optimization, but the but the other those other threads have to run through it. So um I think a lot of people maybe might A-B test without a kind of goal in mind. So uh, what are you trying to test? What, what, what are you trying to determine? Not just like which one of these things has the best, the best performance, because if you don't know what all the inputs are and you're trying to get an answer, well, that answer might be answering the question about an audience that you're not necessarily focused on. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, The example I use a lot, um, you know, when I'm thinking about that is for slots games, let's say. Free coin messaging almost always will improve your conversion rate. People love free coins, but free coin users tend to play until their free coins run out and then they run over to the next game. So you're not actually monetizing off of any of those users. So you'll see if you're running a kind of a, a very simple on the surface test, you'll say, great, I found my next creative. I found my messaging. We're good to go down the line, all of a sudden you start losing out on your income and you realize you optimized for the wrong group. So I, you know, I think it's really important what you're saying is this idea of tying my acquisition funnels. I mean, I'd say even organic at some point comes through some kind of acquisition, right? Like nobody wakes up one morning and thinks, Hey, here's the name of an app. I'm going to go download it. Like, uh, you know, something went in there and to be able to tie that back and see, you know, what is not just is somebody subscribing, but are they subscribing well, you know, do I keep them? Do they seem to be using? Do they seem to be getting value? I think it's super important. And, you know, I, I imagine it's gotten more challenging with things like the, the you know, deprecation of IDFA and new privacy that's continued to be rolled out. Um, is that something that you guys have, have kind of faced? Is there... Uh, a good way to make sure that you're not losing the tie-in on these funnels when you're looking at optimizing your subscriptions.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, so it, it, it's a challenge. Um, although I think it's an opportunity too, because if you think about uh, in the world where IDFA is prolific, think about the number of tools that are that you know even a medium-sized app publisher would need to have in place to connect all those dots. Yes, they had IDFA to match and do all the, the, the fun identity stuff. But you know, you've got attribution tools, you've got analytics tools, you've got a customer data platform to move all the data around. You know, you've got mul- actually multiple analytics tools, probably. Um, and so it's, and, and I'm probably missing a bunch of stuff on in the, you know, in the ad stack. And so it's just a lot, right. Um, okay, so we don't have IDFA or we or the opt in rates are so low that let's just pretend we don't have it. Maybe it just means that we should be thinking a little bit differently about um, how we want to glean some insights. For example, um, you know, it's pretty common on the web to um, if somebody signs up for a SaaS product, to just ask them how they found out about the product. Right? Um, I understand why we don't want to do that in mobile because the the drop off and the friction on the sign up flows um, is pretty steep. Um, but maybe we should just try some things like that, like surveying our users and being, you know, finding very quick UI, UI patterns that allow us to do that, um, so that we can glean insights to personalize the experience. So I think the people are willing to share, right?
0: I I mean, I'd imagine this kind of ties into when you get somebody who's committed enough to subscribe you know, but kind of tying in a little bit about what brought them there. That might be a time when you get somebody who's more willing than you would expect. You know, it's not a first time user who's about to investigate. It's somebody who's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm putting my my credit card down. I like this. You know, I think maybe there there is a friendliness that you can take advantage of there. If if they remember, depending how long yeah. your kind of uh, model goes of freemium and what have you, but it's an interesting thought yeah it, it's
1: not perfect right um but I guess I, what I'm just getting at is like we try to use technology to answer some of these questions, and it's that i d f a already isn't you know what isn't perfect um even when you have it, and there's a lag time and you and like I said, you need all these different tools and stitching it all together and um however, the flip side is it provides insight, and what do we all want more of? we want more insights and so um I think that part of the also uh, related to this subject is that um, oftentimes people don't know what to do next, right? Okay, I could go and, you know, really focus on ASO for a while, or I could go and work on the custom product pages and do optimization there. Like, what should I literally do next to, dr- to have the most impact on mobile growth? And, and I do think that that's where sometimes we get. We get, um, that's where some of these, these stitchings together, these solutions try to say, promise that they're the answer to this problem. But a lot of them aren't really telling you what to do next. They're just helping you like have more data to come through.
0: That's a great point. I mean, I think we tend to fall back on this idea that if we have data, we're covered, you know, yeah. like we have the data, so we should have the answers, but actually... Is this data the answer? Is this data teaching us what we need to do? I mean, I think that's a, it's, it's a security blanket, right? Like we're collecting analytics, so we're okay. But what do we actually do with that? Are we doing the right thing with it? Probably not in many cases.
1: Well, and back to the developer marketer divide, not to simplify the personas uh, too much because there's lots of different types of developers, a lot of different people and growth teams and marketing teams. But um, you know, we also have to collect analytics the right way to get the insights that we are looking for. So sometimes, you know, these general purpose analytics solutions, where you're tagging events and doing these things, you know, you end up not getting what you need. So guess what? You put in a different package that's prom- answering a different, you know, promising to answer a different um. Uh, question. Um, And so now developers are spending their time maintaining analytics implement, you know, three different analytics implementations, all providing some different slice. Um, And guess what? Developers just want to work on the core experience most of the time. Um, And so that can be frustrating too, is that... um, And and I think part of it is because if the developer doesn't know what what question is trying to be answered, and they're just taking a requirements document that says, "Hey, I need to know any time somebody taps this button, or you know, makes it to the sign-up form, or creates an account, um, without really understanding the intent. Sometimes the you know, you're just not, you're just going through a lot of kind of pain um, to not get the answers you want."
0: You can add in the extra layer of sometimes you have, you know, the developer who doesn't understand the business need that's driven it, the marketer who doesn't know how to access, you know, the data points, and the analyst in the middle who kind of gets a requirement from each side to produce a port to send to, you know, a report to send to this side and this side, and then you have just that, you know, kind of a... Uh, telephone game of, of what are you actually getting back in the end? And is it the answer to the business question that you needed?
1: Meanwhile, we're two quarters down the road and we haven't grown.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, or our revenues are going down and yeah. we have no idea why a hundred percent. Um, I mean, I, am sure this is going to be hard to answer. Cause like you said, uh, you know, the right kind of subscription is based on type of app on type of user. I actually remember you brought up fitness, uh, you know, that it's kind of an easy factor of either you get it or you don't. I remember talking to somebody from 8Fit uh, a little while ago, and they were saying it might be worth. You know, sometimes we see more value out of putting the subscription before somebody even has a chance to get addicted because it forces them to use the app. You know, it basically filters them out from the very beginning and they were able to see, you know, I think it's counterintuitive to what a lot of people would think. But it it worked out well, um, you know, in certain cases of actually just keeping committed users and kind of forcing them into a process. Would you say there's there's kind of an overall this is the mistake that we see people making when it comes to subscription? You know, this is something that people are doing and we know it's wrong or is it just too industry and case specific to be able to say?
1: I think there are common patterns of mistakes. They're not, you know, all the time. Uh, By the way, in that fitness example, um, the other thing is if somebody's downloading a fitness app, there's some level of internal drive motivation that's like, hey, I I need to work out more. I need to, I want to get fit. And so... By prompting them into a trial right out of the gate, you're actually aligned with them. They want to do the thing, and so um, it, it's easier in that context, I think, than if it's you know a weather app or something in food, and where it's like, yeah, maybe there's a reason you downloaded it, but it wasn't it wasn't tied to this real strong um, need to you know make a life change, if that makes sense. Um, or, uh, so, so anyway, I think that that's a unique pattern of, of health and fitness. Um, common mistakes. I mean, one of the common mistakes that we see is that you, know, you do spend all your time on the product pages and the marketing and in the collateral and you know, have these beautiful demo videos and uh, you spe- spend so much on great marketing. But then when the user gets to that subscription upsell paywall, um there's no marketing it's not designed it's not particularly attractive it's it's just information it's uh, kind of intimidating it's it, it's kind of like uh oh man you know ah, another one of these and um instead of looking at it as, like this is another marketing opportunity to literally inspire your user to do the thing that you want them to do and um so that's pretty common i think generally speaking these things are um way behind what people do on the web for similar types of products, not similar types of products, similar types of business models. Um, it, so that's one. Um, I think another thing is, it's pretty common to just look at your peer sets, so your sort of competitive set around pricing, and, and also things like paywall and just sort of say, Well, it must be working for them. So these are the price points. These are, this is how I'll message it. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the back to what we started with, uh, some of this stuff is an afterthought from the platform providers all the way down. And so if you're only looking at what others are doing as an example of best practice, it's not to say there's not best practice there, but it doesn't mean that that we've reached the the optimized state. It just means that, hey, you know, a pretty good app is doing a pretty good job, but um, there's probably a lot of opportunity to do much better. 8Fit's a great example of one that has done a really fabulous job, but that doesn't mean there's not, uh, you know, plenty more upside um, to be inventive. And so I think, and, and the other thing is, 8Fit, as an example, may have arrived at certain decisions on pricing or how they market, um, how what their funnel is. And it's based upon their their learnings, let's say. Um, I don't know that to be a fact, but I assume it is. So if some new entrant in that category or some competitor of 8Fit goes and looks at what they're doing and just mimics without understanding how they arrived at that decision, uh, then you're not actually getting yourself into a position to have the foundational knowledge to know where to go kind of next and 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 how to optimize. So kind of getting back to the basics of, of, of how to package a product, pricing, messaging, you know, basically marketing 101, um, I think is sort of, um, I think there's an opportunity there for folks to just literally kind of go back to one to go to 10. Um, yeah, instead of just always looking at the peer, the peer groups.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think you just reminded me of in the early days of, uh, of the app story, you saw, this trend in app icons for mid-core games. It was all a screaming man with, like, spit coming out of his mouth. And if you started to drill into why this was everybody's icon, it was like, well, Supercell do it. That's that's Clash of Clans. That's what Clash of Clans do. And, I, you know, you go all the way back to Supercell, and Supercell happens to have amazing characters. Like, they really develop them out. They yeah. do commercials. They have humor, and that's everywhere. And nobody else had that anywhere. So, like, it was just this, like, well, Supercell do it, and it worked with no connection to... But it only works for Supercell because they have this kind of character side. And now what I'm basically kind of communicating is I'm another ripoff of Supercell, you know, and and once developers started changing that and and approaching, they found really interesting kind of shifts. So I totally agree. I think, you know, and I'm even thinking back to apps I use. There's like a standard, Okay, you've done this for seven days now. Here's how much it should cost. And here's that. And there's not really that kind of consideration of. But who are you as an app versus, you know, just because you're in a, a space where somebody popular has done something else, do you have that same brand recognition? Do you have that same product? Definitely not. Um, so I think that's a great point. Uh, let's let's kind of end this section off with, uh, you know, if you're an app developer and you're looking to start exploring a subscription model, how do you begin that process? You know, what should I do? How do I how do I think about it? What background do I need to do?
1: Yeah, Uh Great question. So I think part of it depends on are you in market already? Uh, or you're not in market, if you're in market with something, um, you kind of have to decide, okay, am I gonna? Um, you know, what am I going to do for my current users? Right? There's a lot of agita out there around apps that have transitioned to the subscription model. So I think um, if you're already in market, and you want to adopt subscriptions, um, just be really good to your existing user base, you know, just give them What they think they bought, you know. Give them lifetime access um, if they were a one-time purchaser, let's say, or give them an opportunity to just keep rolling the way they they are without kind of transition, and then focus your subscription opportunity on new users Um, because otherwise you're just kind of spending a customer service. You're spending your brand currency on customer service and trying to really just, you know, you're gonna get you're gonna not get ahead of it because it'll. You'll think everybody will be just be fine with it, and then um, and then you'll have backlash. So it's just better to just treat existing users really well and and adopt the model uh, for new users. Now, if you are a brand new app or one that isn't monetizing yet, um, then I think um, really what it, it comes down to is just just start and kind of don't get too hung up on the prices and the plans and the, in the exact kind of mix of it. Um, Have a mindset that you're, it's, it's the starting of the learning. It's not where you're going to end. And that's back to what we just talked about where a lot of people just look at the competitive set and then they never change. They literally have the same prices they did, you know, five years ago, um, uh, or two years ago, they've never changed how they're marketing the subscription. Um, And um, everything else around that is changing. You know, they're trying things all around, except for that. Um, And so I think it's important to have a mindset and then make investments that are about flexibility. Um, so for example, I'll do a minor plug. Um, we make it really easy to adopt the model, but then to turn the marketing, you know, asset, the paywall, um, into a thing that's controlled by a CMS. So that somebody can just go in and say, you know what, that 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 monthly plan, we just didn't get it right. You know, let's just, let's just make a change. And you know it doesn't affect anybody that's currently subscribed it's just about new subscribers you know let's 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 not offer the monthly plan let's offer them the the weekly plan and i'm not saying that that's the best practice i'm just saying that you just you can make changes just just go make a change and learn and if that doesn't work try something new and really just treat it as a canvas that's that's never finished and um and um that is just opportunity to learn um, so I think that's just really important. Um, uh, um, so that's what I would advise.
0: Amazing. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, overall it makes total sense. People are treating paywall as not, you know, a marketing asset and is not part of the product. And it's just kind of in that limbo when it seems like it's, you know, the way you describe it, it's lower risk than even updating your product. Cause you're not going to piss your existing users off because not affecting them. It's just, you know, seeing what's happening for the next round and you can just iterate and iterate until you get it, you know, to a place where it's comfortable for now until your metrics start to show you that it's, uh, it's time to go back to the drawing board. So I love that. It, it sounds so simple, but I think it's just not being thought of in that way. All right. You ready for the quick fire round? Oh, here we go. Yeah, here we go. Okay. It's not that hard. Uh, <laughs> if you could give just one tip to somebody, uh, you know, who's just entering into the world of mobile growth and marketing, what would it be?
1: Uh, there, I, I, yeah, I'm going to admit this might be controversial. I, I, I just don't think there's really a lot of experts in the, in the field. I mean, I think there's people that have been around a while or people that are, you know, doing interesting things, but I just, I think it's an opportunity for real thought leadership and, and innovators. And so, um, that's not to offend anybody that is a mobile growth person has a lot of experience there, but it's just to say that if you're new, um, I, I just think it's such a a early field, still young, um, f- full of opportunity for somebody to just like really be inventive and set that new standard of every everybody's going to want to copy you because that was such a such a great idea or a, a great case study of how to get to a great place um, by iterating over time.
0: Amazing favorite mobile growth resource. Ooh.
1: Um, probably twitter uh, I know that's not a single resource um, but the thing is is that I think you just you just see what people across the spectrum are doing and thinking about from little you know one one person outfits to you know larger companies that are doing things and where the technology is kind of shifting and where the you know where the um where the innovation is and what's getting people excited and so I just Sometimes I think that you just got to have to immerse in, in, in things like that. Yeah, um, that, that, I'll, I'll stick with that answer.
0: I like it. It aligns well with your, your first answer too. Uh, person in the industry that you'd mo- most want to take for lunch and why?
1: Ooh, first person to, or f- person to take the lunch and why? Oh man. Um, that's a really, really difficult question. Um you know, it would probably be uh, somebody at a company like uh, Netflix um, who uh really is a well-oiled machine when it comes to this stuff. Um, but they also have um, made some really tough choices around w- how their mobile products work what you can and can't do, for example, you know, purchases, and I just think that you would mine just a tremendous amount of that, that insight that isn't out there, because nobody operates at a scale like that. Um, there are not very many companies operate at a scale like that. So um, yeah, you know, somebody that's on the growth team uh, at, at a, a Netflix class company or a Hulu class company, I think be real fascinating.
0: Okay, if you thought that one was hard, this is our hardest, which is oh, no. what is your favorite flavor of pancake?
1: Uh probably sweet potato.
0: Sweet potato, good yeah. answer. That's out there. Sweet I potato like chocolate
1: chips. I think you you combine those.
0: I uh if you ever make it out to Tel Aviv, there's a really good sweet potato pancake in Tel Aviv. So just saying, okay, was it wasn't on your list already?
1: All slot right. it in because you get the,
0: the pancake there. All right, amazing. Dan, where can people find you if they want to learn more, hear what you're talking about?
1: Sure, two places. One, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my last name, B-U-R-C-A-W is my handle. Uh, and the company, we're on uh, all the places, but easiest is just to go to the website, nami.ml. Nami's like tsunami, N-A-M-I.ml.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. This was
1: awesome. Thanks so much.
0: And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve app store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at StoreMaven, thanks for listening.